This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. We are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. It's great to be back here in the Shack Talk studio. Anthony, uh, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, as in we are recording this uh, each in our own private office or studio, and, and we, we will bring our guest in in a minute, but it's always good to, to get online with you and uh, all the great folks we get to talk with and, and just talk about ice fishing and share what we know. Yeah, I mean, we only get to do so many of these a year, and it seems like they fly by. I mean, we've been recording. This is, you know, our eighth episode of the season, and it seems like they just keep flying by, and before you know it, it'll be over, and ice season will be in the rear view, which I'm sad, and, no, you know, I think... Don't don't say it, Anthony. We're not going there yet. <laughs> no, I think it's been good, and, and I'm I'm overly excited just because I'm a little happier in a better mood. I think... All the complaining we did last year about the weather, we've caught in the flip side of that. I mean, we've had, I mean, to have it be 30, 40 degrees in February, I mean, oh. unheard of. Unheard of. And you know, and it's funny though, Mother Nature always has a way of evening out the averages. Yeah. And, and what you just said, I think it, it's true, right? Be last year was brutal. And this year we've kind of gotten a, a pretty easy pass. Yeah, I'm knocking on some wood that we, you know, continue with a nice, easy, you know, just transition us right into some of that nice late ice weather and, you know, don't throw us any more curveballs, no surprises. I mean, I know we had a couple stretches with some pretty cold temps, which was good for the ice and it healed yeah. some of that slush up and different things in areas. So, I mean, it's always good to get the cold and, you know, it's all right to take a weekend off from fishing when it's really cold, but man, it sure is nice to have some of this nice weather and get out and enjoy it. It's, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. It's just more time on the ice, and, and the time on the ice is, is that much more enjoyable uh, and fun getting out there. What's been new with you, Anthony? Uh, I know you've been out fishing. Yeah, I've been out fishing. Uh, last weekend, I got to bring my little man with me, my my boy with, and get him out for the first time this winter, and it was fun. We, we didn't catch too many fish. We, uh, we got out, enjoyed some fishing, and, you know, just a lot of fun getting him out on the ice. He, uh, he keeps me entertained and on my toes and we got out with, uh, with my nephew. Um, so the two boys got to run around on the ice and have some fun. And I think they spent more time playing in the snow and in the ice holes and doing different things outside than we did actually fishing, but that's the fun of it and, and able to do that in the nice weather. Yeah. And it was great, Anthony. It was a, it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, you and I had a chance to connect out on the ice here this last weekend for a few hours anyway. And Evan was, uh, I got a whole lesson on Thomas the Tank and and Thomas the Train, whatever it is. I, I got to make sure I get that right. But I was told about all of his world and all of his friends. And uh, I'll tell you what, the fishing was not so good that morning. We, we kind of struggled. That made the time go by much quicker and much more pleasant. It was it was really good entertainment. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was like I said, it was just fun to get him out on the ice. We uh we had a guys weekend. My wife and daughter were out of town, so you know, we went and checked out another lake and then we drove up to grandma and grandpa's and spent some time up there. So it was a fun weekend. Got home a little too late, you know. I don't think my wife was overly excited about us getting home late, but we got him showered up and in bed, you know, right around bedtime. So it was it was all right. 
All for a good guy's adventure, right? Absolutely. That's really cool. Hey, we've got a great guest coming up. This is a fellow that I'm really excited to talk to and yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, we joke about it. We get to kind of handpick some of our guests. And this is one that I've been excited to to connect with and get on the podcast and pick his brain uh, with the, the competition style fishing that we've been doing for fish addictions. I, I've got some questions and I'm hoping to pick up a few pointers from him. And these guys, uh, you know, they're dialed, they're up in Canada and I'm sure you've heard of them. So I'm really excited to bring them on. We're going to bring them in here just in a, in a second, but we're going to be talking about Alberta. We're going to be talking about Saskatchewan. We're going to be talking about targeting some some fish that maybe we haven't talked a lot about this season. It should be a good one. Absolutely. Let's, uh, without further ado, let's jump ahead and uh, we're going to bring in our guest for the, the rest of this show. And we are back and we are just excited here to welcome our guest for this episode of Shack Talk. We have Sean Conrad and Many of you who listen to Shack Talk probably saw him like I did and, and really got to know him earlier this winter in the Game of Inches and, and some of the, the fun that they were having out there. We've been lucky enough here to have Sean join us for a, a few minutes tonight on Shack Talk. Sean, welcome. Thanks for having me. So tell tell us a little bit, just to, so we can get to know you, um, tell us a little bit about your history, uh, your your maybe in particular your ice fishing history? Like, like, did you grow up doing it or is it something you've acquired as a hobby, as an adult? And uh, maybe maybe lead us through that timeline and, and then what brought you into to doing some of the videos you're doing? Um, just like most people, my father, you know, I always remember waking up early in the morning and, you know, it being cold out, we're, we're gearing up at the back door and then you head out and you go fishing, you know, for the day and ice fishing, so... Like my dad, my dad knew a bunch of fishing. Um, I always remember um, our tip-ups. We put tip-ups out on Diefenbaker, and you, you got two hooks on there. And when I think I was like seven years old, I pulled the tip-up up, and I got two big burbot on the line. So, you know, just little things like that. But, yeah, I started when I was young. And uh, basically, as soon as I could start uh riding a bike i'd go to the river and stuff but then as soon as i had cars and stuff well you know hand augers i'd go out and just drill holes by hand you know when i was younger branched off from there yeah that's enthusiasm right that's that's dedication to the sport yeah no yeah first ice was nice (laughs) yeah yeah. Things have changed a little bit since then, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just, just the electronics and uh, the augers. It's just crazy how it's come along, right? So, but yeah, I've been ice fishing my whole life and then just pecking away at, at, at techniques and just learning every year, always learning, right? Tell us a little bit more about, you know, you mentioned uh, Diefenbaker when we were talking earlier. Tell us a little yeah. bit about where you kind of grew up fishing, what areas, and, you know, how that's changed over the years. Um, so we basically started fishing, yeah, when we were younger. My dad would always bring us to Diefenbaker, and, uh, you know, we just, uh, the trout nets were there. <clears throat> they had, the the trout would get released every once in a while from the trout nets. they get escaped, and it's just like yeah, Adam and I were, living there and it's just the perfect storm we we started fishing hard when the trout nets broke and uh our love of fishing just grew and then kind of like just an addiction you know 
we'd be uh, we'd be out late at night at like midnight and it's just like well this is boring let's go fishing so we'd, we'd head out and get to the lake at like one two in the morning and uh and catch these uh big trout right and and really nobody else uh, was be- was fishing and learning these big trout the way adam and i were and and, and uh just worked out perfect you know so it's just so happened to be right at our front door this lake that has potential world records and nobody's really fishing it at the time. So it's, it's crazy how that worked. <laughs> I'm curious, Sean, just when you talk about the nets breaking, yeah. what, what, what kind of scenario is that? You mean like, did they have them penned in somewhere and then they escaped into the uh, other parts of the lake? Yeah. So they'd have like, uh, like whenever you go to Safeway, you go buy trout, right? So they, right. they'd raise these trout and they're, they're called triploids or female trout that can't re- reproduce. And one year this, the ice was receding from the lake and the wind blew and this huge sheet of ice came and swept right over the lake, uh, right over the, all the trout nets in the lake. And all of them got escaped between, uh, the trout were between two and six pounds. I think the biggest ones were seven or eight pounds, but they don't like growing them bigger than six to sell in the stores. And yeah, the trout got out and they got into the lake and then they just started eating everything and growing right so and it's just they got bigger and bigger and over five or six years those six seven pounders turned into 30 40 pounders <laughs> you wow. talked about world records you you happen to be one of the world record holders for for trout out of Baker. yeah um, adam caught the first world record rainbow at 43 pounds and that beat the the forty two pounder from uh, Bell Island in Alaska, and then uh, that was in two thousand and seven. And two thousand and nine, I broke his world record with a forty eight pound rainbow trout. <laughs> that yeah. is almost unimaginable. Yeah, I remember weighing the fish, and I was like, we had a. a, a I think they're called Chatillion weigh scales. It's a certified IGFA weigh scale, and it only goes to fifty pounds. And I lifted that rainbow out, and I was like, why is this not, I'm like, not reading. I'm like, wait a minute, it's at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Adam was, like, super happy, but then I think he was a little bit like, ouch. <laughs> well, I'm sure. It, my, yeah. Have you, have you been competitive with your brother your entire life? I mean, that's a natural thing, right? Uh, siblings yeah. are oftentimes competitive with one another. Yeah, actually, right now, uh I'm filming a, a series right now, and it's I'm I just finished fil- uh, fishing the first episode, and it's it's going to be called uh, "Chasing My World Record Burbot," and I that's behind me here is a 25 pound burbot. It is the world record I caught in 2010, and I'm trying to break that world record this year. Wow! So there's going to be a three part series. I've already fished the first time and i'm editing that right now and adam's like well i'm gonna go out and try and break the world record (laughs) of course yeah so he was actually out there fishing tonight and i think he got a couple like medium sized ones so okay what do you consider medium um you know four to six pounds oh those are those are nice fish those are nice but I, i have a lake out here in alberta and like the average size is is well over that so We'll just leave it at that. I'll probably come be coming out with the first episode in uh, end of February, I think, or early March, kind of right when the bourbon spawn starts. So, 
That'll be exciting. Sounds yeah. like we need to pencil in an episode for next year's Shack Talk early on <laughs> and get the real I'm, story. Yeah, I'm going to try and do a three-part series. Um, just if I can get to the lake, I've already been there once. And I did very, very well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just uh, just little things that I'm going to like. We compete, compete each, with each other. And it's just like a fun com- competition, right? Yeah. Well, and speaking of competitions, I know we mentioned it at the beginning, the game of inches teaming up with your brother. I mean, that has to add a little bit of a, a different wrinkle into things as well. Yeah. Um, as you can see in episode three, we had a little bit of a, like a scuffle. Um, episode two, we did when he buried his snowmobile. Uh, we didn't get, we didn't film that. We were more stressed out to like actually get, unstuck and start fishing but yeah it's just brotherly you know brotherly love we just he bounces something off me he wants to do something and i want to do something some way and it's just like you kind of you butt heads but you know we're brothers so we love each other and get her done (laughs) probably been doing that since you could crawl yeah yep yeah, and I'd argue any, you know, competition, tournament partner, you know, you kind of have to push each other a little oh, bit. Like, yeah, there has to be that, you yeah. know, you can't be undecisive. You know, you both have to be a little bit strong-minded and, you know, use the, the best judgment to make a decision. And then when it's right, you feel good. And when it's bad, your partner lets you know about it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we Adam and I do one tournament or one or two tournaments a year. And, and we just, we you know what, we used to stress about going into these tournaments and doing well. And they all oh, the Sean and Adam, they didn't do well. It's like, well, we're just going to go and have fun. And you know, if we don't do well, we're still having fun. <laughs> you know, we've, we've placed second or third in these tournaments and we've placed like 30th or 40th. So it's, it's fishing, right? It's fishing. And, and, I really appreciate that point, Sean, because, you know, there is competition is fun. We, we like to do the best we can, but at the end of the day, it's a day on the water. It's a day fishing with, with probably a, well, for you, a brother or a buddy. And uh, that's really what you got to come and and bring it down to. Oh yeah. And like, you can't make the fish bite every Adam and I've been guiding for, you know, four or five years now we can go out one day and catch a hundred fish. And then the next time, next the, the next day, you're on them, you're marking them, they're just not biting, right? So just like to be out there and, and have fun and, and do what you can. But when it comes down to like 39 hours or game of inches, man, we push hard. <laughs> Got to try and be number one there. <laughs> it was so fun watching all of the different teams and the dynamics between the team members, right? Like you were just talking about you and your brother and where you pushed each other, where you where you kind of butted heads. But then also the dynamics with each other, because you could you could kind of tell as as you were going through the day, you know, day by day and knowing what the other teams had as far as just total inches and, and strategy. Yeah. It was so interesting to see how everybody's strategy was was really targeted at how to get ahead and how to, you know, obviously get on top. Yeah. And, and the one fish that kind of um, messed us up was the pike. You know, we caught a, a medium-sized pike day three. If we didn't have to fish for pike day five, we would have spent most of the time upgrading a bigger burbot. And like I tell a lot of people, we rolled up on day five to our burbot spot after we ca- caught that big pike. And there was a couple locals fishing out there and right where we were going to set up. And they pulled up a 35-pound, 35 35-inch 35 burbot. Oh. As we rolled up, that would have been so, nice. Yeah, so that was kind of like that was our fish. 
you know, but if we didn't have to fish for a pike in the morning, you yeah. know, we probably would have caught that fish. But uh, that's, you, like you said, that's fishing. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like being next to the winning boat in a tournament, watching oh, them put watching put on them. a show, right? Yeah, hauling fish, and then you're sitting there, like, trying to get a bite. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to us, too. I think usually we were in a tournament two years ago at the elbow one and we had we only had three fish in the live well with like two hours left <laughs> yeah so it was tough but yeah we we make do and it's fun right it is it's fun at the end of the day we're fishing and it's fun i'm curious now uh, going back just a little bit here sean yeah. are those trout still in that lake where, where those world record fish came from or are you manager, you mentioned that they didn't reproduce or couldn't reproduce. So did they just kind of dwindle out over the years? Um, yeah, a lot of them did die off. You know, um, a lot of fishing pressure happened after uh, the world records, obviously. Um, but the trout nets are still in the lake. And they're still the, uh, like, two years ago, we had a, actually had a trout net break. And a, about 50,000 two-pounders got out. So there's always fish getting out of those nets. And, and the government, actually, the, the fisheries are now stocking uh, rainbow trout and brown trout at uh, Diefenbaker Lake in certain areas. So they're going to try and produce a world-class trout fishery. So, and they've been stocking for four years now. So we're starting to see, you know, the odd big brown or medium-sized brown and rainbow come through here. So we're hoping they start taking really well. So you set your watch then, uh, those two pounders got out. That's uh, 47 <laughs> more pounds to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, if these trout get into certain areas of the lake, there's basically unlimited feed, and they grow like, once they hit 20 or 15 pounds, they grow like weeds. Like, wow. they grow up to up to eight pounds a year sometimes. Oh. Yeah. But, you and know, you you have to be at that size to be able to eat certain, you know, big ciscos or big suckers or crayfish, right? Right. And you mentioned the they're stocking them. Is that a different strain of trout that they're stocking versus the they're, ones that they raise? Yeah, they're they're stocking uh, just uh, normal diploid trout, ones that actually can reproduce. Sure. Um, so they may not get as big, but uh, last year we got a 24-pound rainbow, so they're still around. Wow. Yeah. That's a big fish. It, Tell us a little bit about the techniques you might use to target a big, you know, 20-pound-plus rainbow or brown. Um, well, if we want to target them on ice, um, we use, like, bigger rattle baits, and uh, you really have to jig aggressively because those big rainbows, you, you kind of got to get them mad, and they'll come and smash it, right? And in the summer, we use we use big live target lures, big wraps, um, you know, spoon spinners just a little bit bigger than you would for like a three, four pounder. You're, you're going to use for like a 20 pounder. You want to use almost like steelhead stuff, like, or Chinook salmon size hooks. So that makes that's sense. crazy. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, Saskatchewan, Alberta, the area where you fish live, what else um, are kind of unique to that area? What do a lot of people target? I know we talked a little bit about the trout and the burbot, um, what else are you kind of getting after in the wintertime over there? Um, well, I live in Alberta, and I've, I've lived here for about 12 years, 13 years now. And the biggest target species for people out here is perch. Okay. And the reason why is because you can keep perch. Um, 
And a lot of lakes within an hour to two hours of Edmonton, you aren't allowed to keep walleye. That's it was basically, basically a zero retention on walleye and even some pike. And some of the lakes close, you have to buy tags to just be able to keep a walleye of a certain size. Why is that a government regulation or, or what's the thinking behind that kind of management? They're just trying to manage how many fish get taken on these lakes. You could, you'll drive up on, onto a lake and then it's not even a big lake, maybe like five, four or five kilometers, you know, each way. But you'll see three, four hundred vehicles on the lake every day, like or at least every weekend. And they're just trying to manage how many of these walleye get caught and kept so they keep a fishery going that's close to Edmonton because there's so many people out here and then and all the lakes are, are quite small, right? They're not there's not very many big lakes in Alberta here. So just the sheer fishing pressure. Yes, huge pressure. So a lot of people want to catch perch out here. And to find a good perch lake is like hitting the lottery sometimes. You got to hit it. If a, if a perch lake's good for like two or three years, you got to hit it. And then they, honestly, they'll get fished out. And then it takes a couple more years for them to get back. So I've noticed that a lot out here in Alberta. Yeah, I know that's something we uh, we experience here in the Dakotas. I mean, we've got, you know, a lot of perch sloughs, and you'll find a hot one for a year or two, and like you said, yeah. it'll kind of get fished out. Those bigger fish will get uh, kind of fished out of the system, and then it takes a few years for the smaller fish to, to take over and take hold again, and you kind of go through that cycle. So it's uh, definitely something that I'm familiar with. Yeah, and, and then you go out to Saskatchewan, and a lot of people want to target walleye because you, you can keep them, right? Right. And they're quite other bigger fish. Um, I, I love Saskatchewan ice fishing. My favorite ice fishing in Saskatchewan is stocked trout. So I love just to go way up north out into like where there's no service and get on the stocked trout lake, set up my tent, you know, get set up for the night and just fish for two or three days. You know, chances of catching like 10, 15 pound rainbows, right? So when you're doing that, you get a big rainbow like that. Is 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 it regulation or is it your philosophy? What do you what do you do? Do, do these fish get kept and retained or released? We'll release the big ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, you honestly in Saskatchewan, you're allowed in most lakes to keep five rain five trout, right? Um, Adam and I, we we like to eat fish. We'll keep between two and four pounders, five pounders. Anything bigger, we you know we, we let go. You know. Um, just because that's such an old fish, it's made it that longer, that much longer. And and we've actually seen in a certain uh, trout lake, it's a trophy lake, our friend caught a fish, and it was like two years ago, he released it, and then we caught it like the year after, you could see the spots on the side, and, and, and we caught the fish there, and then we got it got caught a, a year later, and every year it just grew bigger, you know? So it's nice to see you know, catch and release and some of the big fish get released and other people can enjoy them and catch them. Right. Completely. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that philosophy, but like a rainbow trout, they usually live between seven to nine years in these lakes. So, you know, I guess if you do catch one, that's like the biggest you've ever seen there, it doesn't have much more time to live. So it's like, if you do on a wall hanger, like people are allowed to keep them have at her, but you know, 
Adam and I, we don't, we don't like keeping the big fish anymore. Like we, when we were younger, my dad's philosophy was just to keep everything right. <laughs> right. But we had to teach my dad what catch and release was. <laughs> we, we caught an eight pound walleye on, on the on a river once. And, and my dad's like, like, he's just looking at it. We're about to let it go. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, dad, we're letting this walleye go. <laughs> You know, but to his defense, that's a different generation. And I think, I think we, you know, the, the three of us and, and a lot of folks nowadays are far enough removed from a day and time when people fished for sun sustenance. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. That, well, was, that was, that was, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, but it's fun to see that philosophy shift. And I don't mind that from people that don't fish very much, like keep, keep your limit or keep your, keep your limit if you want, but like. For me, I, you know, I, I fish all the time, so <laughs> there's no way I could keep fish and be able to eat them. And then you're also only allowed a certain amount of fish at your household, right? So right. you got to abide by those rules too, but yeah. So it's, you know, it, like you said, like the different generations, my dad, you know, unless it was a sturgeon, it was getting kept. <laughs> yep. I, you know, I tell this story a lot. I was 10, 11 years old. I caught a, a just about a 17-inch crappie, right? Yeah. And that's massive. Yeah, it's huge. And I was with my great uncle, and and his reaction to that was to throw it in the bucket, take it home, and cut the sides off of it. You know, and <laughs> I mean, today you would just absolutely, yeah. Th there's no way you would no do way. that. No way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Change in philosophy, change in times. Yeah. But like, yeah, like I said, out here in Alberta, there's not as lot. Uh, there's not as many lakes out here that hold good fish um yeah i really had to search and search and venture out uh to find good lakes but then when in like saskatchewan you didn't have to go far to find lakes that held good fish so it's like you know two two different provinces they're close together but the fishing was just that much different you know it's crazy how i had to learn and, and figure it out out here you talk about learning. Is a lot of that just trial and error, trying lakes, or are there resources available from the from the provinces? Um, some of the lakes, people, you know, they would tell me, "Hey, Sean, go check this lake out." You know, it's got big fish, so and I I do it. I wouldn't ask for like spots on the lake or something. I, I figure that all on myself. You know, I'll look at a, a map depth chart or something and find a good area to start. Um, but yeah, just trial and error sometimes, I guess, and just you know, fish the lakes around here and, and social media, it helps too. just kind of listening and watching people and what they post, you know, I guess. And just, uh, I always had this one brown trout lake on my radar and I had lived here for six years. It was, uh, it's called Obed Lake and, uh, and I had never fished it. So I literally just took my daughter and we went out and first fish I catch is like a five, six pound brown. So now I'm addicted. <laughs> <laughs> so then I just kept going back, but like I, I, it was on my radar for like five years. I just never went, you know, you just got to go and try it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes it just takes that little nudge to get you out yep. and try something new. Yep. So, you know, here in the States, particularly in the Midwest where Anthony and I live, um, we saw a huge influx of people to the sport here, you know, three years ago when, when COVID came into the scene and, and it just was, was a real bloom for the sport. Was it the similar, uh, circumstances up there in your part of the world? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, way, way more people fishing now. Um, 
you know, people, some people, they, they read the regulations. Sometimes they don't. And I've, uh, you know, even I was at this one trout lake and, and a guy caught a tiger trout and this was three years ago when kind of like COVID started. And I had to tell the guy, I'm like, um, you're, you're not allowed to keep that fish because he put it in a bucket in his boat. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, was that a tiger? And he's like, well, yeah, it's like a five pounder. I was like, yeah, there's zero retention on those. So you might want to put it back. <laughs> That's but an, I'm sure that that happens everywhere, right? So but. It, it does, and I think, you know, interestingly enough, that's for a lot of people who've who've grown up in the sport of ice fishing and and spent their their years in the outdoors, and all of a sudden you have this influx of of new folks. Sometimes it can be you know frustrating, irritating, and and you know difficult to see that. Yeah. But it, <laughs> at the same time, isn't that an opportunity to kind of be an educator and a mentor and that type oh, of thing yeah. too. And I, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that it's just like, I'll, I'll bite my tongue lots of times. I, I don't want to start anything. I just want to educate the pre the people. And he had no idea. Right. So it's like, I just tried to be nice about it. And then like, and then he let it go and he said, thank you. Yeah. I'm like, well, no problem, man. I'm just like, you probably never fished here before. Hey, he's like, Nope. My first time. I'm like, well, you know, there are regulations, check them out. But you know, and and I, I feel like when I was young and a kid, I just, when I was 16, 17 years old, I wouldn't look at the regulations. I just went out fishing, right? Right. <laughs> Way back in the day, I, I even had like a pedal bike. I remember taking this pedal bike from my house. I went all the way to this, the weir. It's called the weir. It's like a little waterfall in the river. And supposedly people caught sturgeon there, but like I caught this big sucker fish. And like, I brought it all the way home on my bike. And my dad's like, why did you keep a sucker fish? I'm like, it's the only thing I caught. Cause <laughs> I like, got it. Yeah. But like, I don't remember back then if I read regulations or not, but like, you know, you're young, you just want to get out and do the sport. Right. But now everyone's like educated. You have your phones. You can basically find everything on your phone now. Right. So. Well, and I, a lot of credit goes to you and, and some of the others who are doing a lot of these YouTube videos and, you are, you're bringing people along on your adventures and your time out on the ice, but at the same time, you're teaching, you're, yep. you're um, passing on traditions and ethics and all these things that go along with the sport. Yeah, and I just had a guy message me after I put out this uh, uh, bourbon video about a month ago, and he's like, why did you say in your video that uh, if you could use Cisco's? And I was like, well, in Alberta, you're not allowed to use Cisco's. He's like, oh. <laughs> and he's like well where do you find that in the regulation so i showed him and he's like oh oh yeah okay that's that's good to know and i'm like in my mind i'm like he's been using these cisco's whatever but i'm like it's it's learning i'm teaching right so that is and like exactly there's ways that. around if like you want to use a cisco a cisco in alberta is considered a game fish so you are still legally allowed to use the head pieces and the skin and fins so you could get around those somehow but yeah, it's just, you know, I like to have my YouTube videos and teach, at least teach while I'm fishing too, right? And I'm assuming you get the opportunity to do some teaching, both you and your brother do some guiding. I'm, I'm assuming that's quite the experience with uh, with customers. Yeah, guiding is, I love it. I love guiding. Um, I love guiding kids. I just, I had this one young kid, he was like nine years old. He caught an eight-pound walleye, and then he caught like an 18-pound pike. And the kid was sitting on the, the seat when the pike was on the ground and he was shaking and vibrating. He was so happy. 
And it's like, this is why I do this, right? Just to see the excitement on people's faces when they get to catch these fish, right? And then, yeah, then you teach catch and release on these big fish. And even though you're allowed to keep them, keep those big fish around the big breeders, right? Bring home some smaller fish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, guiding's taught Adam and I quite uh, like a lot about the sport and, you know, just learning areas and techniques and, and, and bringing people along. It's just amazing to see the reactions, right? Well, think about that. This, this kid has got a memory he's going to take with him literally the rest of his, his life yeah. and, and remember that day. And, and who knows, you know, you plant a seed like that, that, that kid could be the next Al Linder or I mean, whoever, right? Anthony, yeah. he could be the next Anthony Kleinwalker. I've guided, I've guided younger kids in like three, four five, six years ago. And, you know, I followed them on social media and it's, it's, you could just watch them grow. And some guys, some of these kids are getting very, you know, they're getting very popular and good at what they're doing. Right. But they need they sometimes they need to learn and just something to kick them into gear and just the love of the sport. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like you said, feeding that addiction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then they like, won't have time to, won't have time to get in trouble because they're too busy fishing. Yeah. Adam and I really started fishing when uh, we were out of high school and uh, in university and we'd just go to the lake um, while we were in university and we'd study there and we'd just throw out a, throw out a deadline and just study and put a bell on, you know, at least for fishing. Right. But we, we got to just, we started catching those trout around that time. So it's, uh, you know, just an addiction. <laughs> that is, uh, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Sean, we do a thing we call ice advice. Okay. Yeah. And, and we throw out a question and we kind of use that to, to um, talk a little bit here. And, and we got one question. We ask every single one of our guests all year long. We got another question that we take from, from listeners who send them in and, and it makes for a great discussion. So I'm going to throw out the, the question we've, we've asked all of our guests so far this season. And, and that is, as you look at it, just totally coming from your perspective. So yeah. which would be more difficult of a trophy to, to catch? And, you know, here we are talking to a guy who holds, you know, world <laughs> records here. So <laughs> we're going to get the real we'll expert. We'll exclude those species. <laughs> so we, we went, you know, 50-inch muskie, 40-inch pike, 30-inch walleye. And then we went down into some of the panfish, like a 15-inch crappie, uh, 15 inch perch or an 11 inch bluegill. And what in your experience would be the, the most difficult in that kind of assortment, the most difficult to attain? Um, well, walleye, I catch lots of 30 inch walleyes. So that wouldn't be hard. I did fish for muskie twice and that was extremely tough casting. Um, I'm going to go with the muskie that, that fish of a thousand casts and to get a 50 inch, I fished for six days and the close, I got a 48 and that was a monster. I couldn't imagine a 50. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the busky, I guess. Um, personally, my, <clears throat> I'd like to put something in there, uh, stocked trout. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest stocked trout to catch, and this can go anywhere in, in the world really, would be a 30 inch brown trout. Tell us that, more. Tell us more. Yeah. Why is, why is that fish hard to, to, target i'll tell you why because rainbow trout i fished my whole life and you could troll right over top of rainbow trout and sometimes they'll still bite 
you troll over a brown trout, it's done. It won't bite. You you don't even like fish that area until for a couple hours, and that that fish might bite again, or it might not even bite all night. I fished this one lake in Alberta, and I watch where the boats fish in that lake because it's got huge brown trout. They're so smart. If a boat drifts across one side of the lake, I won't even fish there. I will stick to where there's no boats and fish that area. And once I fished it, I won't fish it again for two to three hours just because they're so spooky. And a 30-inch brown is, is that's, that, that's my fish to catch in a stock trout lake. That's tough. So, okay, that you're just bringing more questions into my mind that I, I got to learn about this. Yeah. So you, you can't drift a boat over them, right, because they're so spooky. How do you go about getting a lure in front of their in front of their nose? Um, if man, I pray for wind. If it's windy, all the, if it's if it's ripping wind, I love it. All the boats go off the lake. I I use, I throw a drift sock out behind my boat, and I'll let the wind blow me, and I will cast my hook way up in the wind, way in front of the boat where the boat hasn't been. And that whole place in front of the boat is all untouched fish. And then you rip, you reel your hook in. And sometimes if, if you're reeling too slow, they're not even going to want it. You got to rip it in fast. And so, yeah, wind is good. Uh, casting, you got to have a good casting rod and, and get it out there. So if you ever fish a stock trout lake with big brown trout and you could see them, but they never bite, pray for wind and cast your bum off until you can get that fish to bite and, and try a different look. Lures, sorry. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a trout guy. I love trout. <laughs> okay. So what, again, here now, <laughs> I look behind you and I see that burbot and I, and I'm thinking in my mind this, you know, massive rainbow trout that, that <laughs> is the world record. What is the, the most gratifying to you that the best trophy, the, the one you're the most proud of? Oh, the rainbow was amazing. Don't get me wrong. Um, we actually guided that year, and we caught four other rainbows in the 40-pound uh, area, like 42, a 44, and a 43-pound 40, rainbow. And the 48 was amazing. Um, my, my favorite fish ever catching, um, you guys probably watched, was in... 39 hours season two, my 37 inch brown trout. <laughs> that was, that's, that's my favorite fish of my life actually, because I had never caught a brown over 34 inches and to catch it on video and get it all. And for it to be a big male, a kiped up male was just a, a, my dream fish. That no, was my dream fish. No that's question. Quite the experience. Yep, yeah. Definitely one to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the burbot, Amazing. You know, I'll tell you a quick story about the burbot. That year in February, the guy caught a burbot and he said it was 24.8 pounds and he released it and he had pictures and I knew exactly where that fish was caught. And I'm like, dude, you, you released a world record. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so I literally, every weekend, I drove out to Saskatchewan and I fished all weekend. And the very last weekend of the closing season was the end of March. I hooked that rainbow at 10 in the morning after sleeping in the back of my truck. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, so I recaptured the same fish. You could tell by the marks on the fish, and it had, it you know, depending on what weigh scale he used, you know, it it, it was like five, twenty five pounds, two ounces. I weighed out, so yeah, that's that's an a amazing little fish. Yeah, so if the guy didn't release it, you know, I would never have that world record, and he would have it probably. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's quite the story, yeah. So, yeah, so, so your mount behind you is that a replica? Or is that an actual? Do they do skin mounts on a bourbon? I, I'm not. I, I couldn't find a place that would that would want to touch the world record and do a skin mount. I sent this fish out to Advanced Taxidermy in Toronto, and they I, I heard were the best taxidermy in Canada. I didn't want to send it to the states because when I sent my world record rainbow to the states, I wasn't able to fly it over the border to these guys. I had to drive to the border, across the border, and then ship it from the States to the States. I couldn't ship this fish over the border through on a plane. So I kept in Canada, Advanced Shark Taxidermy, and they did an amazing job. Yeah, they did an amazing job. And, and most, most places would, wouldn't do a burbot mount because they have no, they have no scales. Yeah. So their skin's very, you know... You know, so it gets soft when it gets it's uh, when it gets thawed out, or when you know when they're not out of the water. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I've even heard the same on some of the trout. A lot of guys just do replicas because their skin yeah. is so oily. And and I have replica our skin mounts of trout, and and they've deteriorated over the years. And these replicas, they don't. Um, they wouldn't do a skin mount on the bourbon. I I wouldn't want one either. You know, I've seen some bourbon skin mounts, and they just don't look great. So if anyone out there is going to get a bourbon mounted, make sure you freeze it by itself. So the, the fish is just frozen solid and then you wrap it because when you wrap it and it's not frozen, you get all those seams in the, in the skin and it's hard for the other, the taxidermy guys to make a mold of it. Sure. So that they had a problem. I did that with this one and he's like, yeah, you should have froze it solid on a board and then wrapped it. <laughs> so. well, that's good advice. Uh, if someone <laughs> yeah. is in a situation where they wanted to have one up uh, as a trophy. Yeah, I got a bunch of people that are catching, you know, big bourbon out here in Alberta, and, and they want to get mounts done. So, I, you know, you, you know, tell them these things, and it's easier for the taxidermy places to do a better, a de- better replica or mold or whatever. So. Interesting. All right, got one more question for you, kind of our ice advice segment. We got a question in, and I thought it'd be fitting, but what is one ice fishing lure that you have tied on at all times? <laughs> well, it would probably be the jig and minnow, I guess. You know, um, I love using uh, spoons, you know, tipped with minnows. I'll use like a frostbite spoon tipped with a minnow. You'll catch perch, you catch bourbon, you catch walleye, you catch whitefish on that. Even pike will hit it, right? So I, I'll use like a, you know, thumb-sized spoon and then tip it with minnows and then just pick your color. So, you know, probably. Yeah, Kyle, how about you? Well, you know, depending on how specific you want to get, honestly, I would say a spoon of some kind as well. And yeah. Honestly, I, I'll use like the Northland Buckshot spoons or a Venom Tackle spoon. They've got a 360 spoon. And depending on the fish, you size up or size down. And there's a lot of nice bluegills I've caught 
on spoons. Yeah. Right. And crappies and walleyes. And I mean, you just, they are such a versatile lure that I think there's times when, when there's other lures that are better, but I think, you know, from the beginning to the end of the season, for me, that's, that's going to be it. It's a jig and spoon. I'm going to throw a little curveball out there because I've really fallen in love with like jigging style baits, the minnow style baits, the jigging wraps, the, you know, rattle baits. There's something about them, no different than what you said. You can catch bluegills, big bluegills, crappie, perch, walleye, pike. And for me, I don't know if it's just the, the attractant power of some of those baits to call those fish in. But for me, I've really fallen in love with that style bait. Granted, it's not going to work every day, but I feel like, you know, maybe you're calling in a few more fish or maybe you're attracting some of those bigger, more aggressive fish. But for me, that's one that time and time again, I find myself throwing it on, throwing it down and at least giving it a try and then seeing what the fish are going to do. Yeah. And those, and like those rattle baits and, and jigging wraps, you know, especially the rattle baits I've noticed are early ice magnet for big walleye. You know, early ice, I use rattle baits for big walleye, and it usually just crushes fish. <laughs> usually later ice, they start using the bait and stuff. Yep. As the season Spoons, goes and they get a little more finicky. Yeah. Do you guys, I know you talked just a little bit about the closure in the season. Do you guys have um, a specific closure date? Do you get really good late ice opportunities? Uh, yeah. So in Saskatchewan, um, all the lakes that have like pike walleye perch, they close uh, end of March mm-hmm. and then they reopen depending on the location in the province, you know, usually uh, uh, May 5th or May 15th, they open. So there's a month and a half of, of no fishing, but then they, uh, they have the stocked trout lakes open all year. So I've, I've actually ice fished in Alberta in the early April in plus 26 Wow. Uh, Celsius. So I'm like, it's, I'm like sweating outside and I'm ice fishing. And that was actually an amazing day for brown trout. <laughs> and I've never, never been able to ice fish in April ever since. <laughs> Just that one time a year. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's times where us over here in Minnesota, North Dakota, you can get to opener the 10th to 15th of May and there could still be ice on the lakes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then there are still, there is still ice on the lakes. Like Diefenbaker was uh, late two years ago and we were actually scared that we had a, a tournament. It was the middle of May and then like the ice was just coming off at like the end of April. <laughs> oh yeah, so it was like the fish were very lethargic. They were still like in like ice, like they were still cold. It was a cold tournament and it was tough too, yeah. No, that's great. Well, Sean, I know um, we really enjoyed listening to what you had to share about Alberta, Saskatchewan. If we have any listeners that happen to be in your neck of the woods, where's the best place for them to find you guys, find information about fishing or maybe being able to reach out and contact you? Um, we have a, our website. It's uh, for our, basically for our guiding. It's uh, fishinggeeks.net, and we're just we're called the Fishing Geeks. Um, and then we're also on all the social media platforms too: Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, a little bit of TikTok. You know, and uh, yeah, if people want to shoot me messages um, that live in Alberta or Saskatchewan, you know, I, I try and reply to most of my messages within a day or two. So. Oh, that's great. Um, Really appreciate you again. 
love talking to new people on the podcast. Uh, glad to have you as part of the, the Eskimo team and, and repping the brand up there in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan. Sean, I just want to thank you again for joining us tonight. Thank Eskimo for allowing us to have the podcast and, and bring in these great guests and uh, thank our listeners for listening and tuning in every week. Uh, we appreciate you and until next time, get out on the ice, have some fun and enjoy some fishing. Thank <laughs> you.